Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and the Moon podcast. As always, I'm your host, David, and I'm excited to be back with you all this week. I did have to take some time away um, for the holidays and also because I had some problems with my health. And I also had a couple days where I was without internet connection. So um, I appreciate your patience because all those factors together obviously has made it uh, challenging to get an episode put out. But I'm back and I'm happy to be back. Um, this week's episode, I'm going to do another Q&A. Um, I had several more questions that were sent in by listeners either on my email, uh, which is magicinthemoonpodcast at gmail.com, or they had direct messaged me on Instagram which is um, at magic underscore and underscore the underscore moon on Instagram. And I will link both of those in the description of the episode if you would like to get in touch with me. Some, the bulk of the questions were from both of those places. And I also gathered just some kind of common uh, questions I saw on the internet, just asking about witchcraft and about Wicca in general. And I'm going to try and uh, address those. So my plan is I'm going to do a Q&A episode. I'm going to hit on these topics briefly because there's a lot of questions. And then because I feel like they all deserve proper responses in their own right, going forward, I'm going to make um, specific episodes that are dedicated to that particular topic. But um, let's get into it. So the first question was, what are the traditions of witchcraft? Um, so when you hear the word tradition in the context of Wicca, um, it's not quite the same, but you can think of it as a similar concept to how Christianity has denominations, right? So if you have a Catholic and a Baptist and a Methodist, um, they're all Christians, but they are some differences in practice, differences in theology, um, perhaps even culture, things like that. So even though the traditions of Wicca are not the same as denominations, that's kind of a, a general way that you can think of it, if you don't know what that means. Um, so Wicca, as it is practiced in the way it was laid out by Gerald Gardner, has become what is now called the Gardnerian tradition. And that is kind of the offshoot that other traditions have come out of. Um, and I'm not saying that anything is more real than anything else. I'm not saying that any tradition is better than the other. Um, that's just kind of the reality of the situation historically. And there's no judgment, that just is what it is. Um, they're all valid and beautiful and meaningful to their adherents in their own way. And I'm just presenting this as information. Cool, disclaimer. So um, there is, of course, the Gardnerian tradition, which I've already mentioned. And um, Alex Sanders and his wife, Maxine, they founded what is called the Alexandrian tradition. Um, and it is not completely dissimilar the Gardnerian tradition, but there are some differences, and I don't know specifics, obviously, because I'm not um, I'm not initiate of that tradition. But from what I have gathered, just from public knowledge, it seems to me that Alexandrians tend to have more of a focus on ceremonial magic than perhaps Gardnerians do. But I can't attest to that being 100% true. That's just kind of what I've heard uh, in rumors and stuff. There's also what is called uh, Black Forest Wicca which um, heavily uses the folk magic of the Pennsylvania Dutch, and it's called powwow, is kind of the called the word for the magic that they use. There's, of course, uh, Dianic Wicca, which I discussed in the previous episode, which is a, um, is a monotheistic goddess-revering group by and for women only, and there is kind of a split amongst the Dianics of those that welcome trans women and those that do not. 
Um, that's all I'll say about that because I have an entire episode talking about Dianic witchcraft. Um, those are some big traditions. There are other traditions um, that we can get into that there's some debate about whether or not they should be called Wiccan. Um, and it probably is going to answer depending, it's probably going to vary in answer depending on who you ask. There's the fairy tradition, there's the Minoan Brotherhood and Sisterhood, which are magical traditions for um, gay and bisexual men in the Brotherhood and then the, fem- uh, the female equivalent in the Sisterhood. And there's many groups. Um, that's all I'll say about that for now. Just for the sake of time, I'll make a separate episode about the different traditions of Wicca and witchcraft. So the second question is, how do you feel about the impact of pop culture in craft? That's a really good question because you know, we have um, shows like Charmed and the movie, The Craft, and even more recently, um, especially is The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And I feel like it can be good, um, you know, because it can kind of create an interest in the fascination into things maybe people wouldn't have known about before. I think that creating an interest in something isn't necessarily bad. But I think because of the challenges and misconceptions and oftentimes animosity that has been directed towards witches in the past, I think that it is the responsibility of creative people to portray witches in a way that is responsible. And obviously fiction is fiction, so I'm not saying that it has to be literally true to what witches are now. Um, But I think it would go a long way to see which is portrayed as not being devil worshippers. Um, I think the downside also with a lot of pop culture witchery is that there's a lot of misinformation that's spread because people see these shows, they get interested in magic, which is great, but then they think that real witchcraft is the same thing that they've read in a book or seen on a movie or a TV series, and then it becomes harder to educate them on what actual craft is. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's necessarily harmful. I think there's a good in it too. And I think if you have the understanding that fiction is fiction and that some things are meant to be only as entertainment, I think that it's fine. Question three, are love spells ethical? Um, you know, there's not going to be one singular answer on this and it's going to depend on who you ask. But since you asked me, <laughs> I'm going to say no. I It's not something that I would ever do. Um, I think that anything magically that would infringe upon someone's free will is unethical. So, you know, I guess if there was a situation where two people, you know, approached you and they gave you consent to do a love spell on them, then sure. You know, I don't really know if that is a very common (laughs) situation. Um, I think that magic should be done with consent of those involved as with anything um to an extent of course obviously like if i'm if someone's sick and i do a spell to heal them i don't necessarily think that i need permission to do that because i think it's the same as you know praying that god will heal them or sending them good thoughts i don't really think of it as being that different from that but um for the most part if there's a magical working going on i don't think it should be done to someone without their knowledge and consent next question um what is paganism and that's that's a hard question to define and not everyone defines it the same way um you know i i am a wiccan of course but i'm also a scholar of religious studies 
Um, that's what my degree is in. That's what I'm going to grad school for. So at least from an academic perspective, there's a very specific meaning um, when we say pagan. Um, its meaning, of course, has changed over time as well. But um, originally it was used in the fourth century CE in the Roman Empire by very early Christians and they were using it to refer to people that were polytheistic rather than being Christian. Um, it basically just meant you were Christian or not. So pagan wasn't referring to a specific like religion or belief. It was just basically just saying that they were not Christian people. Um, the meaning changed a little bit um, later on. It's kind of came to be almost like a slur, I suppose, about referring to people as being godless. Um, but basically it's really just meant that something is not Christian. Um, so when people are referring to themselves now as pagans or modern pagans or neo-pagans, et cetera, it is usually referring to reconstructed religions. So like Hellenism, um, Slavic native faith, uh, Celtic reconstructionism, they're, they're rebuilding these pre-Christian faiths from the past. Um, so if that's Celtic, if it's Greek, if it's Norse, um, etc. Because so many of those examples were erased because of colonization and because of Christianization um, that we don't have a continuous record. Like we don't know for sure what the Druids did and believed. We don't know for sure about a lot of those things. So they can't be recreated as they originally were, but we can kind of make our best guess. And that's what our reconstructionist path is. So if someone is a, a Hellenic reconstructionist, they're recreating the Greek religion as best as they can. Um, that's kind of what that's referring to. So when we say pagan now, it is usually referencing that something is being revived. It's usually something that's pre-Christian and it often incorporates the same values as ancient paganism. Um, that's kind of the best way I know to describe that. And again, I'll do a separate episode on a lot of this stuff later. Um, this next question I really like, it says, what is the appeal of witchcraft? And I'm sure people have different answers for this too. I think for me, um, I was attracted to the craft because I could be in charge of myself. And obviously like within Wicca, we have um, gods, but in contrast to perhaps Christianity, where you were expected to be very like dominated by subservient to God and obedient without question, that's not something that Wicca asks of you. Um, and I think witchcraft in general, whether it's Wiccan or otherwise, it's appealing because you're responsible for yourself. You were owning your own personal power. Your choices are your own. You're not acting on behalf of anyone or anything else. You were making your own choices and you're responsible for the effects of those choices, good or bad. And I think that that self-empowerment and that personal responsibility is very attractive to me. Um, Aside from that, I think it, it's really powerful to connect to something that is much bigger than yourself, much older than really anything there is. The next question says, why Wicca? Um, 
and I said this before in different episodes, but I'll say it here again. I it's not for everyone. Um, it's open to anyone, of course, that's interested, but I don't think that Wicca ever has been for everyone, and I don't really think that it ever will be for everyone. And that doesn't mean that people are like banned from it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it doesn't resonate with everyone. It's not suitable for everyone. People have different interests and different skills and different needs. Um, but for me, Wicca was appealing because it lacked the patriarchal tendencies of the faith I was raised in. Um, but I also admired the structure and the education and the tradition of Wicca. So it allowed me a lot of freedom on my own personal path, but also gives me um, some structure and some consistency that I really admire. So that that for me is my answer. Um, but I'm sure if you asked 100 Wiccans this question, you would get 100 answers. So this next question says, can you explain spellcasting? What's involved in it? What tools are used? How does it work? And that's a really loaded question. I'll probably have to do a separate episode on spellcasting as well. Um, in the very general sense, I would say that spellcasting is the focusing of your intentions to bring about your desired results. Um, tools can be a part of that, and they often are. They don't have to be necessarily. Um, for example, it's just one example, and this is not anything that's oath bound. This is not like anything that shouldn't be shared. Um, but one example of spell work that's really simple. Um, if you get a candle, right? And you can learn all about color correspondences and what different colors of different candles mean. But say um, you got a candle and you wanted, um, maybe someone is sick. Maybe you wanted them to be healed of their sickness and to feel better. And you got a candle that was an appropriate color for whatever association you've made with healing. And you get that color of a candle and you would focus your intention, maybe say a phrase and repeat that phrase that kind of summarized your intentions of this healing. And you would repeat the phrase over and over and you'd light the candle. And then you would do that every day until the candle burned down. That would be an example. Um, but anytime you have a tool of some kind, it's usually symbolizing something in order for you to focus on that intention because your intention really is everything in spell work. So if it is a candle or a bell or incense or you know anything, it's reminding you of something else. So if you're working with the elements of water and you have you know a bowl of water, that would be symbolism or if you're saying you know that salt is symbolizing healing in the earth and you had some salt like it's it's all about the connections between things and the correspondences and how that makes you focus on what your intention is for that spell so i know that was a big generalization but i hope that that at least somewhat answered the question the next question is what is the history of wicca and that's a very large question um, there's obviously not time one episode to discuss the entire history of Wicca. Um, and if you would like to, uh, the very second, I believe, episode of this podcast explains the difference of witchcraft and Wicca. And even though that wasn't about the history of Wicca specifically, I did discuss a lot of Wiccan history there. If you'd like to go listen to it, but I also will make 
um, a Wiccan history episode in the future as well. Um, briefly, the abridged version <laughs> of Wiccan history um, is that British Gar- uh, British Gardner, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Gerald Gardner, uh, who was a British um, civil servant, he happened to come across a group of people that claimed to be witches, and he was initiated into their group. They took secrecy and oath-bound material very seriously, um, as a lot of witches still do, but he was afraid that the witch religion he had stumbled upon would die out if new people were not allowed to participate in it. So um, this is before the witchcraft laws in the United Kingdom were repealed, so it was still illegal to practice witchcraft or claim to practice witchcraft. So he wrote a fictional book um, it was under the premise that it was a fake story and in this fictional story called High Magic's Aid, which you can still read today, um, he kind of laid out some basic fundamentals of maybe what witches did at that time. And then after the repeal of the UK's Witchcraft Act, he was able to kind of go public, so to speak, and he published more actual straightforward books um, about what has now become Wicca. Um, obviously, as any spiritual or religious concept does, it changes and evolves over time. And now there are many different traditions of witchcraft and Wicca, and that's the very short version of the history of Wicca. Next is, what is initiation? Do I have to be initiated to be a witch? And do I have to, or excuse me, can I initiate myself? Let's take that um, section by section. So first part, what is initiation? Um, initiation is just the formal completion of a training and you're bringing someone into the uh, group. And that's not really something that can be discussed, so I'm gonna say that in a very vague way. Um, the next part, um, is initiation necessary to become a witch? Um, I would say no. There will be people that say yes, though. Um, I think the practice of the occult and the practice of magic itself does not require initiation. But if you wanted to be what I would call a Wiccan, then I would say probably yes, that you would need to be initiated. Um, different groups and paths have different requirements, and initiation doesn't always mean the same thing to everybody. But as a broad answer, I would say yes. And then the third part of that question is can I initiate myself? Uh, I'm going to say no. And, you know, if there are people that disagree with me, that's fine. But coming from the perspective of traditional crafts, you cannot initiate yourself. You can dedicate yourself. You can um, say that, you know, that just kind of make a promise to yourself or to the gods that you believe in. Say, hey, I'm committed to following this path to its completion. But you cannot initiate yourself into a coven. That would require... um, the high priest and priestess and other things. Um, And that's all I'll say about that. Next question, what is a closed practice and what does it mean for a practice to be closed? That's a good question. It's an important question. Um, There's a lot of talk in witchcraft communities and in pagan communities about cultural appropriation because um, white people have been appropriating culture for a very long time. Um, you know, our our world tends to have a Eurocentric viewpoint, you know, and that's because of colonization and because of a lot of that stuff. 
Um, and there's a unfortunate tragic history of people taking things that didn't belong to them and profiting off of them at the expense of the culture that it was taken from. So we do need to have conversations about cultural appropriation. And I, I'm not a person of color, so I don't really think I am the most qualified person to discuss this. Um, I would encourage you to go seek out the voices of POC people and POC witches that can really speak to this in a better way. Um, all I will say um, is that there are some practices that are closed and what a, what it means for a practice to be closed is that some random person cannot just decide to participate in it. Either um, it is not available to people outside of a certain group culturally, or you need to be initiated by someone who is a part of that group. For, uh, voodoo, for example, Haitian voodoo um, is a closed practice. So for you to become a practitioner, you would need to be taught and formally initiated by a voodoo priest or priestess. You cannot just decide as a non-Haitian person to just do that. Um, and of, of Haitian descent, I should say, of course, because there's there's many people that practice voodoo that are not directly from Haiti, but I think you get what I mean. And that's just one example. And again, I'm not the very best person. I don't think as a white man, I really should have that much to say about this. I don't think it's my place. Um, but that's what I feel I can speak to in a way that's appropriate. The next question says, are the god and goddess separate or are they part of a larger whole? Um, this depends on who you ask and depends on what tradition you're thinking of and all of that stuff. And um, I don't think that everyone conceptualizes the gods the same way. Um, my personal philosophy, I, I tend to lean towards monism. Um, if you don't know what monism means, it basically means that different depictions of deity are part of a larger whole. I discussed it more in depth in my previous Q&A episode. Um, that's for me, anyway. I, I tend to think of the god and goddess as two parts of a larger whole. I don't know that everyone thinks that. I don't speak for anyone but myself. I'm not speaking for any particular tradition or anything. That's just my personal view. Um, but it just depends. Some people are very polytheistic and they believe that there are many different gods and goddesses and they're all separate and distinct. Some people think there's one god, some people think that there are none. It just, it varies. The next question, is there such a thing as Orthodox Wicca? Um, I would say no, because I would say Wicca is an orthopraxic religion and is not an orthodoxic religion. And I'll explain what that means. So orthodoxy is probably the word that most of us are more familiar with because we hear it a lot in conversations about Christianity, um, Judaism, and Islam even, perhaps. Orthodoxy is re referring to a correct belief. You have to have a certain agreed-upon theology and worldview to be a Christian or to be a Jew or a Muslim, perhaps. Um, and I will speak to Christianity because that's what I'm the most familiar with out of those three where you have to believe that an all-knowing perfect God willingly came to the earth in the form of a man that Christians believe is Jesus, that he was executed willingly, that he died for three days, and on the third day he rose again for the penalty of humanity's sin, right? That is, regardless of what denomination or sect of Christianity you come from, that is a required belief of you if you're going to be a Christian. That's what orthodoxy is referring to. There's a required belief. Wicca does not have that. 
um, there's not a required statement of belief for you to be a Wiccan. Wicca is an orthopraxy, which means instead of a correct believing, there's a correct doing. So the personal theologies of different witches and Wiccans that are maybe in the same tradition or even in the same coven, they might vary a lot. Um, your theological thinking might be very, very different. Um, you might be a monotheist, a polytheist, a monist, um, an atheist perhaps even, and you could be in the same coven doing the same ritual because in Wicca, the performance of the ceremony and the ritual and experiencing the mystery, that is what is important to Wicca more so than what an individual believes or doesn't believe. So I know that's kind of a nuanced um, idea. I hope that that makes sense. That's all I can really say about that at the moment. The next question, uh, what are some books to read as beginners? Um, that's a good question. If you were specifically looking for traditional Wicca, then I would recommend Traditional Wicca, A Seeker's Guide by Thorne Mooney. Um, she is a Wiccan high priestess and she has other books, I believe, as well. But this one's really cool. Um, it explains what traditional Wicca is, explains lineaged um, initiatory Wicca and how to find a coven, how to be a good seeker in an outer court and kind of what to expect um, prior to being initiated. I think that's really helpful. Um, it was very helpful to me. So I hope that that will be good. I recommend that. It's not very expensive. It's on Amazon. You can order it online. Um, if we're referring to Wicca in general, that's probably is gonna be my number one recommendation. Um, if you are looking towards perhaps the history of the tradition and Gardnerian tradition, um, High Magic's Aid by Gerald Gardner, Witch Father, which is about Gerald Gardner as well. Um, I think those are really helpful because it kind of helps you understand Wicca and its place historically, and also just kind of gives insight into the kind of person that Gardner was and how he was seen by his contemporaries. Um, it's really cool. Those are my recommendations right now off the top of my head. If you guys want, I can do a separate episode just kind of talking about books and things I would suggest. And then the very last question I'll do for this episode is, it says, what does Wicca think about LGBTQ plus people? Um... I don't want to speak for everyone, and as with most things in Wicca, I'm sure this varies by coven. I'm sure it varies by tradition. Um, to my knowledge, they seem to be very affirming of LGBTQ plus people. I'm a gay man myself, and I haven't really had any issues with that. Um, I have not encountered any homophobes. I know that there are a lot of people in Wicca that are LGBTQ. I've met a lot of gay people. I've met some trans people. Um, everyone has seemed very welcomed and loved and affirmed as far as I know. Um, are there some shitty people that are wicked that might be homophobes or transphobes? Like I'm sure they exist because they're everywhere, but that has not been my experience or the experience of people that I know. So that's all I can really say because I don't, I can't speak to things that I haven't experienced, but I hope that that gives you some comfort. Um, but that's all I have for everyone today. Thank you for sending in your questions. And again, you can send me an email. You can follow me on Instagram and we can get in touch that way. And I will post uh, the links to my email and Instagram. And I will also link um, Thorne Mooney's book that I mentioned. And I will also link um, some pages to different groups of the 
some traditions that I can link here. So everyone has some information if they want to follow up on anything that was mentioned today. So that's all I have for you this time, and I will see you all next week.